John 15, 5, you turn to Mark 9. I just want to remind us once again why we're walking through this series, why abide is a part of our language at Salem Chapel. Jesus says this in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus is our life source, our spiritual life source. We are connected to that life source if we're a follower of Jesus. He says, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears, how much fruit? Much fruit. Great job. Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of spiritual significance, nothing of eternal significance can be achieved in our life or the lives around us without us making a point to say, Jesus, I want to abide with you. And understand that Jesus is not just telling us to do this with him, but he's saying he wants to do it with us. Remember Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I stand at the door of your life and I'm knocking. If you'll open the door and let me in, I will eat with you and you with me. I will experience, you'll experience fellowship with me and I want to experience fellowship, communion with you. Remember I said that word abide in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, literally means to commune, to remain, to be in fellowship with. And so we've defined abide like this. I'm Said it just a minute ago, but I'm going to say it again. Walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. We've chosen those words intentionally because your Christian life is a walk, a walk through this life, and not a walk that you were supposed to walk alone. But Jesus wants you to walk hand in hand with him, admitting that you need him. There's humility to that. Admitting that he's your provision. His hand is his provision. His hand is your protection. His hand is your power. His hand involves his presence in your life. And so we want to walk hand in hand with him, not as I lead the way, not as I kick and scream as he leads the way, but no, in step with him, walking with him. And so as you're in Mark 9, here's the title of the message this morning. I'm going to give it to you right from the beginning before we even read the passage of Scripture. And then I'm going to give you the idea that I want you to get today out of this passage. Here's the title, Live Like Jesus Lived. I mean, after all, a disciple, the word literally means a follower. Like a mentor would have a mentee that they would be investing in. That's what Jesus did with the 12. He was investing in them. They were following him. They've given their lives for him. They believed in who he was. And so if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, then I need to ask myself, well, how did Jesus live? And so we're going to talk about that today and give you a tool that's going to help you just evaluate your life. How am I living the way that Jesus lived? Here's the idea I want you to get today. I am abiding with Jesus. You are abiding with Jesus when I pattern my life after him. Can I ask you something? Who are you patterning your life after today? Are you patterning your life after your favorite person on social media? Are you patterning your life after your favorite musician that you listen to? Your hero, whoever that may be that you have determined that you're looking up to, are you patterning your life after them? Or are we patterning our lives after the greatest hero? I love how the core value of one of our Salem kids' core values is Jesus is the hero of my story. 
Is Jesus your hero? If you have kids, you know this. If you don't have kids, just bear with me. Think back to when you were little. And when you have little kids, this is not true now of my kids who are teenagers, but this was true of them when they were little, and this would be true of your kids when you were little or when you were little. Do you notice that you would find yourself in, uh, imitating what your mom or dad would do? Like all of a sudden, have you seen a little kid and, and you look at him and you're like, wow, and they're walking hand in hand with their dad or their mom and their gait is exactly like their mom or dad. You ever see that? Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes maybe you're like, I don't want them to do that. But, or, or, or worse, they start to say things that they hear you say. Now that can be dangerous, can it not be? You're like, oh, I thought my kids weren't listening. Let me just tell you something, they're always listening. So you know, you, all of a sudden you start saying, you, they start saying the things that you're saying. You'll even find sometimes as they get older that the way that they talk, their inflection, even their voice begins to sound like your voice. Why is that the case? Because they're with you all the time. They're constantly watching you. They're constantly seeing what you're doing. They're constantly doing what you're doing. They may even, as I said, begin to walk, to run like you do because they see how you do it. Why? Because they're a follower of you. And so when I think about my life, I think to myself, man, if I'm spending time with the Lord, if I'm in his word, if I'm conversing with him in conversation as I'm praying with him, if I'm asking myself, God, what are you saying and what am I going to do about it? Let me be in tune with those Kairos moments that we talked about a few weeks ago. Let me be in tune with what's going on in my life and let me think about what are you trying to say to me and God, how do I obey and Thinking about our story in light of God's greater story. Part of us following Jesus Christ as we follow him closely and enjoy that relationship with him is our lives begin to look different. And not different in a bad way, but different because they start to look more and more like Jesus lived his life. Now when we examine the life of Jesus... How he lived his life, right? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the gospels. That's where we see Jesus' ministry on this earth. Here's what we see. We see a particular way, the way, a particular way of how Jesus relates to the world around him. We're gonna see that as we walk through the book of John here starting next week. What we see, if you've ever read through the Gospels, is that Jesus is very intentional in how he invests his time from what the Gospels share with us. And he's intentional not only in how he uses his time, but he's intentional in how he invests in certain relationships, and what we'll begin to see, and we're going to see it in one passage of Scripture in Mark 9, is that we begin to see how Jesus seems to have a pattern in the way that he lives his life. If we were to walk through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, we would begin to see a pattern. Let me put it another way. Jesus had three great loves in which he invested his time, his effort, and his energy. Let me give these three to you. Here's the first thing he did. He spent intentional time with his father, with his heavenly father. There was an, if we want to call it this, there was an up 
part of the way that he lived his life. He was spending intentional time with the Lord. Here's another thing. He was constantly investing in those who were his disciples and his spiritual family. You see Jesus do that over and over again. In fact, if you saw this, the majority of Jesus' ministry was not spent with the crowds, but the majority of what we find in the gospel is Jesus spending time with his disciples and other individuals that wanted to know about him. So there was not just this up piece to the way that he lived his life, but there was this in piece to the way that he lived his life. He was investing in those who were following him, those who were his spiritual family. But then you'll also notice in the Gospels that he also entered into the brokenness of the world. What is Jesus oftentimes talked about? Well, he's the one who gathers with tax collectors and, if you know it with me, sinners, Right? I mean, he hung out with the people that the religious elite never wanted to hang out with. So there was an out kind of piece, if we want to call it that, to the way that he lived his life. See, if we were to look at it this way, Jesus lived his life really in these three dimensions. There was an up piece, there was an in piece, and there was an out piece. You see a graphic on the back of the screen if we were to look at it visually in this way. And if you were to go through the Gospels, you would see each of these. Now, in Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2, and if you're following along in our reading plan, this is one of the things that you read this past week. Here's why I have you going to this passage of Scripture. Because in one passage of Scripture, you're going to see all three of these. You're going to see an up piece where he spends time with his father. You're going to see where he spends time with the disciples in this in type of pattern of living. And you're also going to see where he engages into the brokenness of the world, if we're to call it in this out piece of the way that he lived his life. And what I want you to see in this is that what he does is he invites three of his closest disciples. Like if you're familiar with the gospel, you know Jesus had 12 disciples, but then he had three that he spent more time with. They were like his inner circle. And so in this story that we're going to read here in a moment, he takes Peter, James, and John with him up to this mountain where he's going to pray. And they've never up to this point in the Gospels prayed with Jesus, been with him when he does this. And the other nine guys are at the bottom of the mountain. And what we're going to be able to see is these nine guys, I'm sure that the Bible doesn't tell us, once the other guys, Jesus and the three, come down from this mountain, they're going to be like, man, we missed out on this. What's even worse, if we're to understand the dynamic, like sometimes we don't put ourselves in the passage. Like Andrew's one of Jesus' disciples. Peter was his brother. You ever have a little bit of sibling rivalry in your household? Anybody? Raise your hand if you want to admit that. I'll raise my hand. I have five younger brothers, bro. (laughs) Right? You ever have a situation where your sibling gets to do something that you didn't? And then the comparison go right on. And then your kids never forget that either because they're, they're like keeping that away and they're like, hey, hey, mom or dad, remember like three years ago when you got her or him this? Right, right? Anybody else? Am I the only one? Am I the only one? I guess I am the only one. All right, one other person. Thank you for your honesty. I should put another piece. Honesty's part of the triangle as well. We're seeing all this dynamic, okay? All of this is taking place in this passage of Scripture. Just imagine it, even though it doesn't tell us. They're no different than we were. So let's jump into Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9, and let's see how this plays out. 
says, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he, speaking of Jesus, was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And they appeared to them with Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi or teacher, it is good that we are here. Like that's the understatement of the century, by the way. It's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Good old Peter, right? Verse six, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified, like they're, they're totally blown away. It's not terrified even necessarily that they were frightened, though I'm sure that they were, but they were just in awe of what was happening. Like, like everyone's out, well, I don't know what to say. Well, good old Peter's like, I know what to say. Verse seven, and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is just crazy, right? When we, we, some of us have heard this story before, but I'm just thinking of Peter, James, and John who have never experienced this before. They're up with Jesus, first of all. They're not sure what's gonna happen. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just starts glowing. And all of a sudden, they see Moses and Elijah who are literally patriarchs to the Jews. And now a cloud's coming on them to where they can't see anything. And now a voice out of heaven. Like, that's a good Sunday morning, right? This is what the voice says. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. I don't know about you, but I have that underlined in my Bible. That God says to the disciples, listen to him. You know what the Lord says to me every day and says to you? Listen to him. Verse eight, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen. That's like, like I don't know about you, but I'm terrible at keeping secrets. Like, like uh, and it comes out, and I'm not good with my memory. Like, I say, man, I only got so much hard drive stuff, so I only remember the stuff that I think is important to me, which is not always a good thing, and I'm not good at keeping secrets. I can't imagine like, okay, we're not supposed to tell anybody what we had seen, not even the other nine, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now let's pause here. Like let's get into the minds of Peter, James, and John here for a second, right? They've been following Jesus for a while, as I said already. They've seen Jesus constantly get away and spend time with his heavenly Father, the God of the universe, constantly doing that. We see that over, let me just read some passages of scripture so you don't take my word for it. Mark chapter one, verse 35 says this, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed by himself. Luke 5, 15 and 16. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would often withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Last one, Mark 6, 46. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Why am I pointing this out? Because up to this point, Jesus did this by himself. But now he invites three disciples with him. Now think about this. If I was there, 
I'd be thinking to myself, Jesus, you've been holding, is this what happens every time you get away and pray? Like, holy mackerel. Like, why have we just been letting you go away? Like, we've been missing out. I mean, I'm sure they're wondering that. But in one scripture, this scripture, we see once again what Jesus does. Do you see it? He goes up high on a mountain to pray and commune with his heavenly father and has this amazing spiritual experience. Now think about this. When I get alone with God and I'm opening up my journal or whatever you have, maybe you have something different and that's okay. And I'm reading through that Bible reading tool. Do you ever before you ever open it saying, Lord, I want this to be an amazing experience. I want you to speak exactly to what I'm feeling right now. Or do we just jump in and we're like, okay, this is the thing I need to do. Uh, I don't want to feel guilty the rest of the day. Now granted, we're 99.9% chance we're not going to see a vision of Jesus glowing and Moses and Elijah in a cloud saying, listen to him. 99.99999%. I'm just leaving it open because God can do anything that he wants. But when we think about ourselves in going to this relationship here and figuratively going to the mountain and saying, I'm gonna open up God's word and I'm gonna converse with the Lord. And Lord, I want you to meet me in this place because that's exactly what we see Jesus model. But here's something else that we saw in Mark, verse, Mark 9, verse 2 through 9, is we also see in this passage of scripture that Jesus also says, I'm gonna take some individuals with me that I've been investing in. I'm gonna take Peter, James, and John to join me in this. Because here's what I know, I'm making an investment in them that's gonna blow them away, yes, but it's more than just having an amazing experience. It's about me teaching, teaching them something that I know I'm putting this investment in them that I know is going to fuel them when I go to heaven. Notice that it says he told them not to say anything until after he had risen from the dead. Peter, James, and John were three of the disciples who turned the world upside down, who planted churches outside of John who were martyred for their faith. And Jesus knew what he was doing. He's like, hey, I'm going to take individuals with me whom I love. And he did other things with the nine as well. It's not that the nine were second-class citizens. But Jesus in the story not just focuses on up, but he also says, who am I investing in? In. Now let's look at what happens next when we come, when they come down from this mountain and they meet up with the rest of the disciples and what exactly happens. So can we look at verses 14 through 29? Look at what it says. It says, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. So they just came from this amazing experience, right? Man, we had an awesome time with the Lord. We saw something we've never seen before, and all of a sudden, reality hits. 
come down from the mountain. Here's the other nine. And there's these scribes again arguing with us. Verse 15. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them? Like disciples are like, hey, what took you so long? It's my translation. And Jesus says, what are you arguing with these scribes about? Verse 17, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, when we read that, depending on how you see the Lord or your tendency to see the Lord, you see this as Jesus just raking his disciples over the coals, which unfortunately sometimes is the way that we can see the Lord, right? Uh, You stepped out of line. You weakless, faithless Johnny. What Jesus is just saying here is, wait a minute. Like, you've seen me do this. Like, why are you not stepping into what I've already invested in you? Let's continue reading. Verse 22, or verse 21. And Jesus asked his father, how long has it been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible for the one who believes, verse 24. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Verse 25, and when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand Took him by the what? The hand. What does abide? Walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. He lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? That's a great question. Like, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now listen to me. I know some of you are like, man, there's so much in there, so many questions I have, Johnny, in this passage of Scripture. And our point is it's not necessarily to answer every one of those questions. What I'm doing in this passage of Scripture is showing you how Jesus patterned his life and how we can go to one passage of Scripture and see all three of these pieces. See, what we see in Mark 9, verses 14 through 29, is Jesus, he steps out into the brokenness of this world. See, it's not just up and in, but we also see Jesus stepping out into the brokenness. Jesus could have stayed on that mountain. That would have been a great place. I would have been like Peter, James, and John. I'm like, hey, Jesus, can we just stay up here for a while? Like we're enjoying community. We're enjoying time with you and seeing God the Father speak. Like what an amazing thing. Let's just stay on the mountain. Like we know what's down there. Let's just stay on the mountain. But Jesus doesn't do that. He enters into the brokenness of the world. He engages in the sin of the world that was going on. We don't know that this boy did anything to be possessed by a demon. 
But that existed because we live in a sinful, broken world. But Jesus enters into it. But notice that the disciples ask, Jesus, why couldn't we do that? And we don't see that Jesus yells at them. He seems to calmly just say, well, this kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. What is Jesus doing here once again? You literally see him doing what? You see him investing once again in his disciples. Well, let me tell you why you couldn't do it. Let me tell you why you feel like you failed here, but you didn't fail. See, here's what I want us to understand as in the last part of these two verses in this passage of Scripture. Sometimes we can feel like Jesus expects perfection from us. And yes, we need to live for him. And yes, we need to strive not to sin. But I'm not talking about sin necessarily. I'm talking about how we are growing in our relationship with the Lord. And some of us are achievers by nature, right? They're like, you're like, give me the goal poster. Give me all the things that I need to do so that I can write them all down. And I'm going to measure myself whether or not I've hit every one of those marks. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I know many of you are like that. You know why I've even described that? Because I'm one of those. So immediately like, okay, I got another, I got, I got five tools now, and I'm going to measure myself and who I am and how God sees me by how, I'm, how well I'm doing in each one of these tools. I'm going to measure myself now by how I'm doing in my relationship with the Lord. I'm going to measure myself in how I'm doing in my relationship with others. I'm going to measure myself by how I am investing in the brokenness of this world with people who don't know Jesus. But listen to me, what I want you to see in this passage of scripture, because some of you are so law-driven, is what I want you to see here is that the Lord was not expecting his disciples to hit home runs out of the gate. He was just simply looking for obedience. That's what the Lord wants from you, is obedience. Obedience. You know what obedience looks like too? Lord, I was wrong. I wandered away. I made this stupid choice. I fell into the lie that my way was better. Lord, I'm gonna ask forgiveness. I know that your grace is greater than my sin. That's obedience too. Hear me say that. Receive that today. Because some of you have been falling into your tendencies. Well, I'm measuring, oh, now I got, how am I living my life today? Well, I'm not doing so great and up. Now, all of a sudden, God looks at me as a failure. No, no, no. God just wants obedience. So how do I pattern my life after Jesus, right? What do we say? Abiding with Jesus is when I'm patterning my life after him. Well, there's this thing that you've just seen, the Jesus pattern tool. You've seen it on the wall in the Abide Cafe. Here's what we're doing. We're saying to ourselves, here's a way that we can really just gauge How am I patterning my life after Jesus? Because Jesus had all three of these elements in how he lived his life. So let me just think about how am I living my life. Think about it this way. How am I doing up in the up piece? What do I mean by that? How am I I doing in spending intentional time with my heavenly father? If I place my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, I can call God my heavenly Father. I am one of his children. I have that blessing to commune with the God of the universe. How am I doing in that? 
How am I doing in the end piece? How am I spending intentional time with others' disciples of Jesus? Listen to me, one of the things that has robbed us so much during these last 18 months of COVID is that what it has done is it has revealed to us, I hope, how much you need other people in your life. I wasn't created to live alone. And that, mess, that, that, that idea is not just for people being married or not married. It's the idea of just being in relationship with other people. People that are investing in me and people that I can invest in. How am I doing in that? If I isolated myself, listen to me. If you've isolated yourself, chances are that you're saying to yourself, man, I'm not in a good place today. But what did I say? God's not looking and frowning upon you. God just wants you to be obedient. How am I doing in spending intentional time with other disciples? Here's the out piece and how it relates to us. How am I spending intentional time with people and the opportunities to share the love of Jesus? Now, here's what you need to understand. The fact of the matter is that most of us, if not all of us, are good and I say that in a relative term, are stronger is a better word, are stronger in one of these than the other two. Just think about yourself. Which one of these are you stronger in? Maybe you're like, well, man, I love to get together with other believers and invest and talk and have community. Man, I love that. Like, you're extrovert to the nines. So you may be awesome at that. Or you're like, man, I just love, man, I got so many opportunities. I just love being able to represent Jesus and speak about him to people that don't know about Jesus. Or maybe you're like, man, this is, this is not just true of the introverted types. You're like, man, I just love to get alone, have a cup of coffee, whatever, hot tea, whatever. And I just love to spend time with Jesus on my own. We're stronger at one of these than the other. Some of us who are just exceptional individuals, maybe, are stronger at two of these. But here's what I want you to know. None of us are great at all three. Or strong at all three. Once again, what are we after? We're not after perfection. We're after obedience. See, the Greek word for salvation in the Bible is the Greek word sozo. Here's what it means, to make whole. So I shouldn't be beginning my relationship with Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm thinking less of myself because I'm not batting a thousand in all three of these. No, 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 no. Once again, it's about obedience. So as I'm submitting to the Lord, spending time with him, looking to spend time with others who are going to encourage me in my relationship with Jesus, and who can I do the same with? As I'm looking for opportunities that God has already put before me to represent Jesus to people that don't know about him, here's what begins to happen. God begins to grow me in those things. It's not about perfection. It's about obedience. It's about obedience. See, here's what I want you to understand, and you need to write this down. Pull out a pen, pull up whatever thing on your phone to type this out, take a picture of it, whatever it is, because I, I, want, I want to say this, and I wrote it down, and I want you to see it. It's on your screen. Living your life according to Jesus' pattern of living is not one more thing you have to add to what you already are doing. It's reorienting what you are already doing according to Jesus' pattern of living. Because some of you are like, that's all I needed, Johnny, was one more thing I gotta do. 
I gotta run my kids to school in the morning. They're all going in different directions. I got a job that's stressful. Then I get to run kids to whatever activities they're doing. Like all I got is Saturday morning or Friday night or whatever night it is. I got life group, I got a buy group. Like, and you're like, I don't need one more thing. But here's what you need to understand. It's not adding anything to your life. It's just reorienting what you're already doing to how Jesus lived his life. See, it's literally saying, okay, I want to spend intentional time with the Father. I've already been, been wanting to do that. Man, I've, I've in this series even begun to be able to be able, it's, it's becoming less and less mechanical as I use this Bible reading tool in my life. Like, like I'm not even going to need this journal in three months. Like, I'm just going to be able to have a journal with blank pages. Like, that's awesome. I'm developing a prayer life with the Lord. That's great. You're already doing up. Well, I'm in a, I'm in a life group. Or I just started an abide group. I took one of those packets that are in the lobby. Guess what? You're already doing in. Oh, man, I work at this workplace, and I get up early, and I, I work with these people, and I, there's some of them I like. There's some of them I'm not, not sure I like, and... But I know I'm with people that don't know Jesus. Listen to me. You're already doing out. If that's you, what this tool does is it's just a way to be able to say, how am I living my life? Let me just take some time. And as we roll this tool out and begin to unpack it in our groups, abide groups, life groups, there's just going to be questions that we can look at to be able to gauge how we're doing in each of these three areas. But I want you to get this. This is just about seeing what you're already doing in a new way as invitations to walk hand in hand in Jesus, with Jesus, in what you're already doing. I want you to watch this video by someone in our church who did exactly that, but in relationship to out. Look at your screens. My name is Scott Wollaston, and I've been a member of Salem Chapel for over a decade with my wife, Megan, and I am also a CEO of North Carolina Fusion Sports. Even though I've been at the church for 10 years, I've always looked for an opportunity to plug in. There's obviously been some great service opportunities. I've been uh, an usher um, on weekends, but I've always been looking for an opportunity that kind of connected with what I would say is um, the mission that God's put in my life and the, the gifts that maybe he's given to me uniquely. And several months back, um, Pastor Mark was speaking about our relationship with Kimberly Park Elementary. And I just got really excited about a potential opportunity there, specifically how our organization, North Carolina Fusion, could look to partner with an endeavor at Kimberly Park. I thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity for us to bring what we're doing at the foundation over to Winston-Salem. So we spoke about it and how we could connect some dots. Um, and I drove through the Boston Thurman neighborhood and uh, just prayed that there would just be an opportunity for me to be involved and be just a part of our mission as a church in that community. Drove past the soccer field and thought, 
uh, this is probably what I'm supposed to be doing here. So uh, we set up some meetings, got to speak with the uh, principal and the PE teacher there, and uh, it's really just taken off. So uh, two Saturdays ago, we uh, started Saturday soccer at Kimberly Park. Kids can show up from the neighborhood and get an opportunity to work with those, those kids, meet the families and feed them afterwards. And providing a platform like soccer um, gives us an opportunity to share the gospel and I would say show the gospel to kids and families in our community. We get to see these kids every single week. We get to see the families every single week. I just think there's no better way to build those relationships, build trust in this community, and we want to keep showing up. I would uh, challenge our church in, the, in all the conversations we've had with Kimberly Park. They always want to know, are we going to keep showing up? That's really important if we're talking about building trust and um, building community. We have to keep showing up. It's going to take a lot of people and um, would ask everybody to show up for that. I think for people who are unsure of how to get involved, I think the first step is really doing something, serving in some way, whether it's being an usher in Salem Kids or maybe in our Saturday soccer program. Uh, even if it's not something you know you're passionate about, um, I think we all should be passionate about sharing the gospel and being uh, light in this community. You don't have to be a specialist. Even Mark Duncan comes out there and we say, hey, do a scissor move. And Mark shows him some karate chop or something. And then we have to show him it's actually with your feet. And uh, if Mark Duncan can do it, then you can do it too. I think that sometimes people wait for the church to um, provide us with opportunities to serve. It may not be something that Pastor Mark or Pastor Johnny or Aaron have said. What are the gifts that God's given you? Uh, to represent the gospel and um, go after it. Don't wait for um, the pastors to say, this is what we're going to do. Say, no, here's something that I can bring um, that God's asked me to do and, um, and do it. Don't wait. Let me say this. Uh, so thankful for that opportunity that God has placed before us as a church that is an outpiece. And what I love about Scott sharing a story, and it's not to make much about Scott, it's to make much about Jesus, just Scott being obedient to something that God put on his heart. And what was he already doing? And what's an invitation that he could step into, into a community in Kimberly Park? So here's, here's what I want to encourage you. Some of you are like, man, like, I work with, I work with people all day long who know Jesus or I mean, I work from home. Like a lot of us work from home now. Here's one tangible way that you could say, hey, I'm gonna step into this. What I love is you don't need to know anything about soccer. As Scott so lovingly pointed out, Mark knows not much about soccer, evidently. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I mean, it's important for all of us. This is an opportunity that God has placed. And this, I'm not showing this video to necessarily just push one thing because it's not about, well, let me wait till the church presents me for an opportunity, but it is something that we need to step into. It's an opportunity God has given us. And some of you have no idea how big that that is. So there's a place that you can register for that. I think it's on the screen where you can register. You've already had your phones out all day. This is another great way to just say, man, I'm willing to give one Saturday a month, two Saturdays a month. Maybe you're like, man, it's from, it's, it's just a couple hours every Saturday to be able to do that. Listen to me, the most important thing is, literally they have said, are you coming back? 
because there's a reputation of churches coming in there doing something one time and never coming back again. That's unfortunate. And so I want to encourage you to do that. I've not had an opportunity to come out myself because up to this point, I will in a couple weeks because we've had something. I've, been in, I've not been on a soccer field. I've been in basketball courts. But that's something I'm excited to engage in myself. I know my wife's been having an opportunity and my son as well. But, so I want, to, want you to do that. But here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to pull out this card, who's your one. If you didn't get one of these cards, I just encourage you to raise your hand. And our ushers would love to be able to give you one of these. I introduced this last, last week or maybe the week before, I can't remember. But I've asked you to pray about who's one person in my life that God has just brought to my mind for me to take what I'm learning and ask them to come along with me in my life. Here's what you need to understand. If you're waiting for yourself to get to a place that like, I got this figured out. Now I'm ready to do this with somebody else. It ain't ever coming. I don't feel like I've got it all figured out. My life is far from perfect. But I do believe that one of the things that God has called me to do is that in peace in my life. Who is it? If you have that name, I want you to write that down in that blank, or maybe you already did. I want you to know we, we took all of our leaders, our, our life group leaders, our restore leaders, our elders, our staff, everyone's spouses if they were married, and we took them all away this July to talk about what we were going to be laying out. And we all did this in July. So if you're one of those leaders, maybe you already have that card. Here's what I also know. Some of us are like, man, I've never spent time in the Bible. I've never spent time praying with Jesus. I've just begun to. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write your name, your name in that blank, but then I want you to put a dash. And I want you to put someone else's name that may be one of your friends that you may be in relationship with, maybe a coworker, whatever it is, and saying, Lord, not only do I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord, but I also want to take what I'm learning and help someone else. I'm not saying you got to necessarily go and ask them tomorrow, though you may already know they're ready. It's just you praying, Lord, would you show me when you're opening up the door to say, you know what, here's what I'm learning. You want to do this with me? Because what are we about as a church? We're about making disciples, but also mobilizing and helping us to do this with others. Listen to me. If we commit to this, I can't wait to see what God does in a year. And just to let you know, we're going to make this a practice of our church. And so here's what I want to do. The band's going to play. They're going to sing. And I want you just to just come on up. We got plenty of space up here. And I just want you to pray over that card. Something magical about coming forward or whatever it is, but what I've found in my life is just me taking an intentional step to signify that I'm serious about this. And so as they play, as God leads, I'd encourage you to come down, pray over the card that you have in your hand, and man, let's walk out of here committed to walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way.